Digital Gonzo episode 115, recorded January 7th, 2013. The Sound of Gonzo, Volume 5, Star Wars Edition. We're back with another musical journey through cinema, this time to celebrate Disney's recent purchase of Lucasfilm and to get you guys in the mood for next week's roundtable discussion on the future of Star Wars. It's a thorough exploration of the scores of the original trilogy. Unable to resist the awesome power of my forced persuasion when it came to guesting duties, it's long-time John Williams aficionado, Mr. James Batchelor of Gameburst and MCV magazine. How could I turn this down? This is like, I did, the fact that you asked, it, it would have been more efficient to just say, we are recording this on this day, and I would have just turned up. I've asked, Thank you so much for having me on for this. Not a problem. Not a problem. I, I, I couldn't do it without you. Before we start, if you have not yet listened to the six Star Wars Gonzo reviews that make up our first six episodes, you owe it to yourself. Nay, to Star Wars to go back and listen to them. James, you were on, what, episodes four and five? Uh, I think it was four, five, and six. And I six. think I may have been the entire trilogy. Huh? Okay. Uh, the, the only trilogy that counts. Um, we have count, 16 tracks to discuss from A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, starting, of course, with the Fox fanfare, something so endemic to our viewing that hearing the Disney logo jingle instead is going to take some getting used to. It's not going to be the same. Hearing that, like, seeing the castle and the, the nah, Tinkerbell nah, going nah, over, it's, nah, 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 nah. it's going to look like someone switched the disc at the last second. <laughs> Okay, I mean, it's not the first time, because if you remember the uh, Clone Wars atrocity, uh, was a Warner Brothers one. I've not watched it. And I'm did. safe. So we've got the Fox fanfare here, and this is actually the, uh, the, the Fox fanfare and main title from Return of the Jedi, which I actually hold to me as the best arrangement of the Star Wars theme. A lot of people will, will beg to differ. But was it you, James, who said that the original, original Star Wars... Uh, was a bit sort of yes very very poppy i believe was my technical (laughs) term uh which it it is if you go back and listen to it it's it's very kind of you know brass band on a saturday Mm. afternoon that that middle that middle section that bridge between the two choruses Mm. really needs to be played on strings yeah it's the only way to kind of get the elegance of those notes across is it played on brass in the original then yeah, in the original, in the original, the whole theme is played on brass, and he started playing around. I think he started playing around in Empire, mm. but like I say, he kind of perfected it in Jedi. Yeah, um, and it's it's kind of it's the one redeeming feature of the prequels, or one of the redeeming features of the prequels, is that each one started with this style arrangement yeah. of the opening theme. Maybe that's why I'm, uh, it feels like the right version of Star Wars to me, because because four out of six movies have it. Yeah. yeah. It, it could just be purely psychological, but ultimately, have a listen, folks. This is the uh, intro music for Jedi, which I have then carefully spliced in with the Blockade Runner. And actually, let's talk about both the tracks now, because it's, we're just going to have it move straight through to Imperial Attack. So this is the first, like, six, seven minutes of the original A New Hope Star Wars, where, you know, the tiny little Blockade Runner goes jumping over the screen, and then there's that... Like sort of 70s audience was going, oh my god, this spaceship will crash us all. 
And the Star Destroyer, obviously the biggest spaceship in the entire world, hove into view very, very slowly. It's brilliant. It's one of those moments that really emphasises not only how big George Lucas's vision was, but how much it needed a John Williams score to compl- complement it. And I know I'm bound to say that, fanboy, etc. But seriously, that moment there... As it comes over, only John Williams can really emphasise kind of how big this thing is with just sound yeah. and the you know the slowing down of tempo, and it does automatically set this. It instills fear in you as that thing comes over. I mean, if they'd done it quite creepily and you just heard a, a low rumble as it comes over, you'd be like, oh, that's something to worry about. When well, that's what this- they do in Spaceballs, isn't it? And it just yeah. seems to be tedious. Yeah, exactly. When when you've got this massive music saying, this is something to be very worried about, <laughs> it's like, it's, sorry, music speaks to me, that's what it yeah. said. It is just, it's incredible. And then, like, to suddenly go into, the, like, a little snippet of the Rebel Alliance theme, it's, it's like, you know, there's a little bit of hope here that they might get out. It's instantly, you know who's what side. The big, big Star Destroyer, that's the bad guys, and the little one with the plucky brass section playing over it, that's the Rebels, and you want to vie, um, vie for them. I loved, um, I swear I heard anecdotally that the first time it was shown in cinemas or to a test screening or something, George Lucas was watching it, and the audience watched, and they have no idea what's going on, but they start cheering for the little blockade runner, mm. the Tantive Four. And that, that the fact that you can create that moment with both sight and music, yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, well, it's, it's very carefully arranged to allow people to... To, to root for the underdog mm. immediately, yeah. Because, I mean, the, the, the Imperial Star Destroyer looks aggressive as all hell. It's an arrowhead. The score for A New Hope uh, is actually, if you listen to all three together, it is somewhat separate from the next two uh, and definitely separate from the, the, the following three because it, it feels like it was made at another time. Mm. And then suddenly after that, you're into like the age of the 80s and John Williams was flying high at this point, And these scores were obviously very, very important towards that. Mm. But, but this seems there's a lot more sort of clanging and there's a lot of themes which then don't get brought in later. Some of the key ones, of course, we're going to be playing for you tonight. Uh, so, yeah, just just listen. And there's less subtlety in these. But it's very much kind of a sort of a, a, a matinee Saturday morning adventure type thing going on. Everybody ready? Oh, yes.
Okay, so the next one is the Dune Sea of Tatooine. A couple of things we pointed out during those last few tracks. Uh, the tinkling sound of triangles can be heard, especially during the actual Star Wars theme. That is to represent stars twinkling in the distance. Isn't that pretty? Yeah. I didn't know that. I did not know that. See, this is why I come here, to learn. Absolutely. And uh, also we were talking about themes, and uh, James mentioned that the theme, which was entirely absent from the prequels, is for the Rebel Alliance, which of course I think I probably knew on a subliminal level. Yeah, it's one of those things you don't really think about unless you're like me and you're that sad about John Williams and start naming each of the themes. But Um, James also did point out that the Force theme, which I always just tied up as the, the Skywalker theme, applies to all Jedi, so that's effectively the guys who got pitched against um, the Empire in the prequels. Mm. Um, no, I, just, I love those pieces. A really, really good, strong opening. Um, I love the like, I love the way like they kind of weave in themes. Um, you know, you heard the Princess Leia theme just kind of popping up and just kind of weaving in. Not even the whole thing. You'd hear like the, the Princess Leia theme is, and you just hear every now and then. 
and you just you'd hear the tail yeah. end just as she's kind of flitting about the ship and trying to stay undetected as is the theme um it's just it, it's brilliant the way he does that i also you know, i mentioned um while we were listening to it i love the way that the the opening theme as as grand as it is 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 paced to match the text if you notice in each of the films you've got three paragraphs in that opening crawl you've got the big this is the intro this is the information you immediately need to know um as they play the star wars theme then when they switch to violins and you've got that very lovely elegant bridge that's kind of there's a little bit more context and then it builds up to this is what you need to know right now because this is what you're about to go into this sets the scene for the last one and it really upsets me when you get things like video games or TV shows or whatever that use the opening crawl and they've got they've just rushed through the crawl, so you're all, you're already half you're only halfway through the violins and all the text is gone. Yeah, that's not the this music was written for the opening crawl. That is a misuse of the opening crawl. But, that's <laughs> but if, you, if you're going to do a lame Star Wars knockoff joke, you can't keep people sitting waiting reading an incredibly slow opening crawl. Mm, true. It's been done so many goddamn times, though. If you dare to do it, you better have a funny joke in there. This is true. The one, the point where I started to forgive it is, um, I think it was Lego Star Wars, where you get an opening crawl every single level. Oh, it's God. like, you know what? Yeah, just get the text out of the way and let me play. That was just a poor design function. Oh, the other thing you mentioned is that you missed the... Yeah, the, the, original, the original Death Star theme, the original Empire theme, I thought that would have been great to bring back in Jedi when they brought back the Death Star. I mean, don't get me wrong, Vader's theme is, is definitely iconic as the Empire theme, but that opening music, I think that that did such a great job of, of symbolising evil mm. in this original film that I think it's a shame it didn't get more it didn't get experimented with a bit more oh also the um, huge amount of uh, giant bass drumming boom 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 there's a lot of there's more of that in uh, A New Hope than you get in any of the other five and there is a huge amount of 2001 specifically the main theme of 2001 which is it clearly influenced Williams here and he's like right I am going to go to town on these bass drums I think what are they called the the, the 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 big like the kettle drum type things? I cannot remember. The, the remember. big ones with the boom 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 boom. You folks know about it. <laughs> <laughs> that is our professionalism. But but that's the thing. This was the first, as far as I'm aware, and film buffs are about to kill me. But this was the first really really big sci-fi score because presumably beforehand they'd all been quite eerie and and I, I don't I don't that's know how settling, much yes. yeah. Exactly. It all been about kind of the emptiness of space. This is the first time it was a very kind of big, loud, over the top sort of score. It is bass drums, apparently. Okay, there you go. Okay. That was about the first time. Okay, this next one is the Dune Sea and the Jawa Sand Crawler. So we take it down a notch and have this slightly unsettling, slightly weird, a little bit kind of woozy, almost sort of heat thing of. Which is kind of very kind of classic Hollywood um, mm. going on there, but this that I've actually used this bit of music once uh, when I was doing a documentary about Kent, and I think I was <laughs> using it to show Margate on the beach, and it's it just sort of it, it's wonderful to sort of like film oddball people pottering around on a beach to this music. It's it was a wonderful moment. <laughs> anyway. 
um, and, and so yeah, it's uh, this is uh, the the music that most sums up Tatooine and will project people who especially saw Star Wars in the cinema. You know, folks, the oldies like Gary will. Um, actually, no, he didn't even see it in the cinema. He saw this bits of Star Wars at birthday parties from that guy who went house to house with his reel to reel. But people like Gary, who may have been lucky enough to see it the first time, it will transport you back. Hmm. And so I, I, even even I, I didn't see it first time, but instantly the moment that music comes out, within two seconds, I am in the desert. Yeah.
Okay, so the next part is, I think if we'd gotten to the end and we hadn't put it in, we'd have got a bunch of people going, how come you didn't put that in? Because it's so iconic that the second you hear it, you're transported again to Star Wars. It's the Cantina Band. It's not a great bit of music, but it is an extremely effective bit of music. It is. It's just. It's. It's brilliant. It's, it's almost as I as, as familiar as the um, the actual main themes. Yeah, isn't it? Like in, in terms of, as soon as you hear this, you know it's Star Wars. Yeah, because there isn't music like this anywhere else. Um, I remember um, uh, I was in an American toy store once, and they started mm. playing this, and I went, "Oh yes, yes, perfect." Yes, I will now go to the Star Wars section. Thank you, I'm playing into your game. The thing that bothers me about this is it so brilliantly sums up what, like, it's kind of, it's become what we associate with alien canteens. Yes. That now in every single Star Wars video game, and again, not to reference video games, but that's obviously a fair amount of time I've spent in the Star Wars universe has been with games. Yeah. Every single canteen plays this same tune. Yeah. All of them. Gi- yeah, well, the something Jedi like N- it. They're, they're well, definitely trying to evoke this specific cantina. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, the Jedi Knight series, I swear it's in, like, the Old Republic, um, just, you know, certainly Lego Star Wars, obviously, like, anything. You'd imagine Figrin Dan would, you know, be, be getting royalties out the wazoo, which, by the way, is located on his face. Yeah. Okay. You never, you never see anyone down by the canteen, like, you know, dancing along. They're all just sitting there reserved in Mos Eisley thinking, oh, this bloody song again. Trying to tune it out. Play that same song again. Okay. <laughs>
Okay, now this one, after that silliness, is... Uh, <laughs> is completely actually, different tone. It's completely different in tone, and you just mentioned it uh, a while back. Uh, Princess Leia's theme. This is so lovely that I actually considered calling my daughter Leia uh, before uh, she was born. However, episode three was still raw, and uh, I, I went with Lyra instead. But uh, if she had a sister, it, she'd probably be called Leia. I do. I love this tune. This, to me... It's quite similar to the Marion theme from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Last Ark. Not in that it's a direct copy, but just that this, this great music that sums up how lovely this character is, how everyone around her just kind of melts to her will. Mm. Um, not through manipulation or anything, just because she is that lovely and you want to help her. And obviously, you know, that's not to make Leia sound like a damsel in distress. She can more than hold her own. Mm. Um, but it's, it's a very kind of regal theme, which obviously suits because she is a princess. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. Mm. Compared to everything else is very kind of, and I know I always use this word with John Williams, but bombastic. Mm-hmm. Everything else is very kind of big and noisy and men and guns. Exactly. It's very kind of, almost very male. If you could if you could assign a gender to music, it's a very male score and this just brings that little bit of feminism. Femininity. Little, femininity is the correct word, thank you. This little bit of femininity and a little bit of grace into an otherwise very male dominated score. Well somewhat appropriate. Yes. Since she is the only woman of note in the entire galaxy. Apart from Mon Mothma. There's a lot of flute in here. It gives, it stirs deeply protective feelings in me, both as a, uh, uh, as a Han Solo wannabe and, and as a father, ultimately. Mm. So. Actually, uh, this is one of the few bits on the uh, original Star Wars soundtracks in general that could be in a film tomorrow and would still sound appropriate and not out of its depth. Yeah, doesn't sound that time. Not dated and horrible. So, yeah. I particularly love like the kind of the, the flute fluttering down um at the beginning it's it's almost like a flower blossoming yeah which it's, of course the, you know the character did slowly over the uh, over the over the um trilogy yeah um it's also important to note that this isn't actually ever played in its entirety in the film it there's bits of it throughout the score and specifically at the end but mm. um usually you'll just get na 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 I don't believe I'd actually heard this in entirety until I, um, there was actually a extra DVD that came with the episode three special edition soundtrack, which had Ian McDermott introducing various bits of music, which is actually kind of like a video version of what we're doing here, but they threw in extra prequel stuff. And it was the, probably the first time I'd ever really heard it in entirety, because I think at the time I hadn't yeah. really bought the, the double disc ones. If you if you can track down that DVD, it's amazing. That's I, I actually like. It's called Star Wars: A Musical Journey. I actually went to. They did a concert version of it, and and rather than Ian McDermott's very kind of solemn storytelling in between each uh, theme, they had Anthony Hopkins. No, Anthony Hopkins. That would be a bit different. Um, in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> Um, that's exactly what he says that's exactly what he says um, no it was Anthony Daniels obviously doing his C-3PO thing and also talking like it, it just it, was, it wasn't quite the same grandeur that Ian McDermott brought to it but seriously watch that find that DVD and watch it because it's amazing how the music can tell the story mm. without 
voice clip or action or whatever, just the music tells the story across the saga. Yeah. It's not just the music, though, because they actually set it to, to bits of the movie, too, which is yeah. a sort of a wonderful kind of way of you get the... You can read some emotion in the eyes of Carrie Fisher. I think this is probably the one where she tried the most. Mm. Uh, the second and, and third film, she was, specifically the third one, she was out of it. But, well, she had uh, less to do. She yeah. gradually got less to do. Here she is, the, the, the MacGuffin. She is the... Uh, yeah, she's she's very, the very, very, very important in this. Film. She's very important to this. She's the last arc that they have to go after, essentially. Yeah. Um, she is the damsel in distress. She's the princess. She's the leader. And then by Empire and Return of the Jedi, she is the sole survivor of a planet that ultimately, in the middle of a heated civil war, not really worried about a planet that's not there anymore. You need to make sure... Make sure you protect the planets that are left. Mm. So she kind of joins the ranks, as it were. Oh, my God, she's, she's Spock. She is Spock. There you go, yes. She's right. Spock circa J.J. Abrams. Okay. So this is Princess Leia's theme.
So the next one is the TIE Fighter attack. Now, this is a late edition. I wasn't going to put it in, but then, what, James, you mentioned it in an email saying, well, that's not in there. And I went, uh, we don't need that. And then I started humming it to myself again. And, of course, it's not repeated anywhere else. Oh, no, actually, it is. It's in Jedi when they're uh, attacking the second Death Star. Is it? It's a thing very similar. Do you mean when they go into the second death star? Yeah, it's not literally this. Bit. It's not literally the same, but it's it's very very similar. Yeah. It's very similar. I grant you that. Yeah. Um, but this, this, this is the theme that little boys have in their head when they're running through the garden, arms outstretched like an X-wing, uh-huh. um, pretending to shoot things down. Which is inappropriate because it should actually be inside the gunner's cockpit of the Falcon. I know, but you can't do that with your arms. You can't pretend. You, oh, that's, that's just sitting there with your arms in front of you. And, uh, you can yeah, sit just in a garden you. chair, holding your arms out in front of you, like swiveling around left and This is true. Great kid, true. don't get cocky. <laughs> I love, love this piece. This is like it's one of the most exciting moments of music, musically, and you know, on on screen of the the first film. You know, you've had all that massive, wonderful, you know, Death Star escape and all that. Everyone's and just died, and then it's Obi-Wan. like, get back on your feet, kid, there's no time. Yeah. There's just like, you are not out of the woods yet, and it's just, it's, it's brilliant. Again, another great one for like, you know, like video games, like, they tend to play this during like space battles, and it makes you feel like a really, you know, a de- deadly pilot. Yes.
it's amazing that that um, that entire queue and therefore that entire scene is only two minutes long. Yeah, but it feels so much more because you're you're on the edge of your seat. You're 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 so caught up in the action. It feels like it's so much longer. Mm. Same as the uh, actually the attack on the Death Star. I didn't realise it's only like ten minutes long. It feels like it's twenty minutes, half an hour. Yeah, I got so in trouble. Much happens. I got in trouble from Giles the uh, when we reviewed it by saying, "Yeah, that that." that First attack on the Death Star is somewhat boring. What? By today's standards. Yes. I think you were there. You were there to go what back then. I think I was. I think if that's my instinctive reaction now, I think you were wrong yeah. back then as well. <laughs> uh, uh, that's, uh, A New Hope is the one that's actually uh, held up the least for me because it has the least proper drama in it. It's, it's, it has the least. It's the least well acted. Yeah. Um, and it feels the most now in comparison, like the prequels. Which yeah. one felt most? Le- Oh, that was a, yeah. It turned out to be Empire that feels the least like Star Wars in general. Because mm. um, there is a heritage between Jedi and the prequels and between Star Wars and the prequels, but Empire stands alone. Yeah. And speaking of Empire, uh, we are now moving on. And uh, we're going to skip the throne room stuff and uh, go to the Battle of Hoth. Now, this track is like 14 and a half minutes long. So I have condensed it down. Uh, and it is the first half of that, which will take us through the build-up of the rebels freaking out because they're about to be attacked. And they have mm-hmm. to up sticks and get out of there as soon as possible. And the attack of the Imperial Walkers. So you've got that... I, I just... I love that, that riff there. Because yeah. it's it's so... It, it, it's so evocative of marching power coming closer and closer and what I didn't realize every time I listen to this I noticed something new when I last listened to this when you said we were going to do the show you can hear it in the background almost all the way through like the the music escalates and changes so often in this there's so many changes of tempo and instrument and music and theme that you know, it, it is a clash of music. It's, it's it's a multifaceted battle. It's a multi-level battle. You've got, you know, the uh, the the infantry battle, the people back in the uh, the base, the snow speeders, the walkers, everything. It all it all builds up and builds up, and, and you each different section gets a different, uh, you know, gets a little screen time to itself, and therefore a little music time. But that march, that dun 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 dun, dun is present throughout. And he's constantly in the background reminding you that the Empire is getting closer. You've got, you got like three things at work. You've got the... Do-do, do-do, do, and then you've got the... Do, 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 sort of chaotic, yeah. like, come on, scramble quickly, we've got to get out of it, quick, 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 quick. And then you've got the... Like the like terrifying empire just bearing down on them. Yeah, there's like four or five different riffs and different themes, yeah. each representing different parts of the battle, and they clash. It is a battle of music. Yeah, and it's brilliant. <laughs>
it sounds very reminiscent of Jaws, just in the the two notes. The dun 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 dun. If you, it, it's dun 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 dun. It's it's Jaws with a little bit of flair. Yeah, and um, I also picked up some like uh, some crazy wooden xylophone action at the end there. Yes, which almost uh, you you wouldn't get that in a serious battle these days. It's too silly. But, but he makes it work. He makes it, it everything sounds so panicked and chaotic. It's not like a, a wonderfully choreographed battle. Like if you watch um, Gladiator mm. with the music by Hans Zimmer, you know the music rises and falls depending on the roaring ocean. Yeah, yeah, it, it rises and falls depending on how well the Romans are doing, and it, it just it sounds beautifully well choreographed. It's like well. The music is almost telling me what's about to happen. Whereas here, it's just all over the place. You have no idea what the outcome of this battle is going to be, unless mm. you've watched the film before. In which case, you know that it doesn't end well. It's such a great piece, and it's you know it's a shame that it's it's a little too long to play the whole piece because the second half is just as good, if not better, than the first. I've a feeling people are going to be tracking down the complete scores to Do listen it. to from this. Do it. Do it now. Um, one thing that I'm going to also spare you guys is that me and James were pretty much talking along, quoting exactly what bits in the film were happening at what places with frightening accuracy. Both in the uh, the original cut and the various parodies. <laughs> okay. Um, I, one other thing that turns up in that is, of course, the wonderful Imperial March. Now, I wanted to put the Imperial March in this show, as in just the complete, you know, beginning to end. Because it's wonderful, but... We've got about four other songs with it in, and it would seem like overkill. So we haven't got that on its own. But it's, but, it makes itself known so well. I mean, if you know, to compare to the layer theme, the layer theme kind of wove itself very subtly into yeah. that attack on the uh, Tantive Four. Darth Vader's uh, theme, yeah, the Imperial March, makes itself known. Yeah. It almost takes over, no matter what score it's being played in, no matter what cue, no matter what's going on, everything stops for the Imperial March. Yeah, and it's 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 the um the backbone of the film because the whole thing is about the pursuit of this this empire, which mm. now freed of their slow ass giant round ball thing are far far more dangerous. They should never have bothered with Death Stars. It's a fatal error. They actually win when they don't they fiddle ass around with Death Stars. Lesson learned. Yeah. Okay, so this next one features the Imperial March uh, prominently, but it Very also prominently. introduces Han's first proper theme. Because, I mean, this is the, the romance between Han and Leia. There's, there's elements of it in Battle of Hoth Part 2. It doesn't introduce it for the first time, okay. but it gives it, it to us full thought. Of, da, 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 when things stop being quite so perilous, when they mm. glide over the asteroid, and it's like, I've got a plan. Um, suddenly, you, you're in Han's hands. Uh, it's tenuous at best, but obviously the more Leia loves Han, the, more the louder you yeah. hear this theme until it pretty much crashes in at the end in uh, the uh, clash of lightsabers which we're going to play for you in a bit what i love is um I, i've been thinking a lot about the kind of the han and leia romance compared to the anakin and padme i was watching um there was a um, romance there i just it seemed like a nest of tables well yeah exactly but uh, i mean I, I know i'm years behind the time but i was watching bits of the plunkett reviews and he goes through the original han and leia romance and explains Great. why this why leia falls for harm yeah which is completely seeable i mean chris let, let's face it like some men might fall for harm <laughs> Um, Guilty. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. You know, man crush, it's, it's allowed. And, and you can, you know, absolutely, this is a moment where her love for him would grow. He has just beaten, done the impossible 
uh, just pulled it off with no small amount of luck, but a lot of balls. Precisely, 3,720 to 1. Indeed. Um, and and he's just, he lost not only like a, a collection of TIE fighters, but three massive Imperial um, Star Destroyers. Yeah. Just just by wiggling a stick, that's impressive. That's going to turn a girl's head. He has, he um, knows some manoeuvres. He does know some manoeuvres. <laughs> so he certainly learnt some by this one. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's the, the, the sense in this one, A, that the Empire are never going to stop pursuing them, uh, mm. but uh, B, that there's this, this kind of intrepid thing going throughout it. And if you remember back when we did the review, it's a roller coaster. It the really whole thing is. is sort of, nah, 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 as you're banking and curving in the Falcon. At the very end, it goes, as the roller coaster comes to a slow stop at the very, very close. And it's like you've been in this wow ride. It's it's even like the just the, the build up midway through. Like you get the first da, na, 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 scene, and then it kind of calms down. Um, there's kind of a little bit of pause where they're like, oh, oh, I think are they okay now? Are they safe now? And then it just builds up brilliantly with the um, the violins. Just incredible. Brings honestly raises the hairs on my arms like every time I listen to that but goosebumps to the skin every time I hear that specific piece like well into the top ten of best John Williams single oh, tracks ever easily top five maybe top three so this is the asteroid field
that's a kid rocking uncontrollably, clutching oh. himself. Oh. <laughs> make it stop, make it stop. It has stopped, little Timmy. Oh, no, it hasn't. Now, this next one is uh, Yoda's theme. And this actually bears a lot in common with E.T., uh, mm. it's, it's got that same, same kind of, you know, the funny little guy that you, um, want to be friends with kind of thing. And there's so, there's this kind of like, it, because he's voiced by one of the Muppets, several in fact of the Muppets, it kind of all automatically, whenever you see shots of Yoda to this, stirs up all these warm feelings, you know, for, for, for Jim Henson's Creature Shop in general, uh, but, you know, for Yoda and everything good about Yoda. It's almost too sweet for a mm. theme for the, for the actual character, because when you realise it, he's kind of a hard-nosed bastard at times. There's, there's a warmth to it. Yeah. An Ill, ill-deserved warmth. I mean, this is a man who was training kids to wield lightsabers. Mm. Um, he snatched from various planets, I might add. Yes. Without asking them whether they wanted to be Jedi. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a man who, ultimately, he's using Luke to accomplish his own ends. Yeah. Um, to, to overthrow the Empire and redeem himself, having failed to overthrow the Emperor earlier. And manipulating um, him by going, no, you can't be a Jedi, you can't be a Jedi, knowing that he's the only hope for the actual galaxy and of course he has to be a Jedi he just can't pursue him and make him be a Jedi it's the opposite tact to what he's done with all the other kids before it's it's mind games Mm. Um, and and but there is this odd warmth to it that does make that that does make you warm to um to Yoda that, that makes you respect and even love him and there's a kind of I don't know, the way it builds there is a hint to the kind of hidden power that he's got but yeah. refuses to use. I think the only bit of this I didn't don't really like all that much is the da 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 because it's like a little marching tune. You know, we're going to be soldiers and march even though we're tiny and it's like it come sounds on. like a, look at me judge me by my size do you? It sounds like a Disney marching theme. And oddly you and never well, really you hear should not. Oddly, you never hear the the playful little march because it's a playful march. You never hear the playful march in the movies. I don't think. No, I don't think so. No. Um, but I do know this is completely undercut the character. Yeah, but this is this is a great theme, and I love the fact that they did subtly work it into, albeit stupidly, into the uh, the prequels. Like the, 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 it was. When Anakin and Padme and R two are fighting Geonosians on the the conveyor belt, they're playing the Yoda theme. There is no reason to be playing the Yoda theme. Yoda is not present yet. Yoda is having no effect on this scene whatsoever. But it was nice to hear that theme. That all you just reminded me of was that John Williams was lazy on those uh, prequel soundtracks. He was quite lazy. So when you watch ET again and they, it's Halloween time and ET's wandering around the place and he sees a kid dressed as Yoda, this little jingle plays, which is nice. I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have to listen out for that.
And when it ends on that long, quiet, slow note, you kind of know that Yoda's going to die. Yeah. So if you hadn't seen it, it coming in Jedi, it, it, it happens for you. George didn't even want to go back to Dagobah. He thought, nah, waste of time. But uh, people were asking him, was Vader lying or not? And uh, that had to be answered. And it had to be answered by someone we trusted. And we ultimately do trust Yoda, even if he did manipulate Luke. He is one of the best characters in the entire series. Hmm. Definitely the best character in the prequels. God damn. Definitely. But which version? Puppet version or CGI version? They're the same character. There's just different representations yeah. of it. I pray to God they never, ever replace the original puppet in the first, in Empire and uh, Jedi. I think George has now stepped back and Good. they won't. They Good. is he. <laughs> so, yeah. So this next one, The Clash of Lightsabers, this is the finale of Empire. And it's a wonderful way of combining Luke and Leia's journey out of Cloud City and away from darkness. You've got that... It's, it's the Imperial March at its most triumphant because ultimately yeah. the, 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 the Vader here is on the verge of capturing Luke, yeah. thus winning. You know, the Battle of Hoth, the, you know, the, the, the march sounds quite triumphant when, uh, when the, that last walker is going to shoot the shield. That's a minor victory. Oh, you've managed to get into the base. This is, we're going to capture the main character, take him to the Emperor, turn him to the dark side, yeah. and that will be the end of the rebellion. Everything hangs in the balance during this fleeting four minute scene. Yeah. Um, and it really is the Empire's like exerting all of its power to make sure that it, you know everything ends the way that the Emperor has foreseen. Mm. But Luke is possessing of more strength of character than Anakin was, and so the whole thing goes to pot. Then when Leia gets out, it's it's all thanks to R2 being able to, you know, fiddle with the doors. And then there's that sort of, oh my god, oh my god, what's going to happen? And then... Dun, 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 dun. Just such an incredible moment yeah. I know I said that almost those exact words on the original uh, Empire Strikes Back episode that we did but it, there's no other way to describe it it's one of the most powerful moments of music in this entire saga mm. and symbolically Leia is running back to now watch the one of the closest things she can actually call to home because she's now spent enough time on this ship and she's now realised how much she loves the pilot mm. that suddenly she's running back to her place of safety it's not just a place of safety, it's her place of safety. Wow. Good. Yep. More of this in the new ones, please. <laughs> okay. So this is the clash of lightsabers. Dark Lord almost triumphant.
Now, this next piece uh, signifies that we are moving on to Jedi, the film that a lot of people somewhat justifiably really don't like. To me, I really like the way that James Earl Jones portrays Vader in this. He's he's clearly done some... some th- he's the most bassy and the most brooding with the most mixed feelings because he's far more focused and centred in Empire. He knows what he's, he's doing. Luke's messed him up in uh, by the end of that, so he's now a much more complex character. A lot of people consider that he's a ruined character at this point, that him being focused and, let's face it, one-dimensional makes him a better character. I beg to differ. Yeah, so this is the opening music just after the crawl where he gets out of his shuttle and meets Moff Jergerod. It evokes the shuttle immediately to me, which is one of my favourite Star Wars vehicles. Mm. You may dispense with the pleasantries, Commander. I am here to put you back on schedule. He's all business, and then by the end he's making threats and going, I hope so, Commander, for your sake. The Emperor is not as forgiving as I am. And already he's there setting you up for someone scarier than him. But yeah, for a Vader in Jedi, at least trying to set out as he hopes to continue and maintain that Dark Lord persona, this is a great piece of music.
Right, now this next piece is probably most famous for its very, very beginning bit, after which it becomes a cacophonous battle. Uh, it's this sail barge attack where Luke pulls out his hidden lightsaber uh, via R2 and does his little flip trick and then starts carving up aliens left, right and centre. Uh, and there's this, this wonderful sort of doom, doom. And if you've seen the, the uh, Family Guy Return of the Jedi, it's a trap. Uh, you'll know what fun stuff they do with this bit, which I love. But I've always loved this this section because I love the green lightsaber. I love the fact that Luke made it and has become, uh, has made himself a Jedi at this stage. He is self-actualized. And uh, it's just this, uh, this kind of like, right, he's been playing possum this whole time. What do you got, Skywalker? And he goes ballistic with it. He goes absolutely insane, killing folks left, right, and center. So For me, this is the moment where Jedi really get started. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, we've had a nice build-up, a nice kind of, you know, welcoming you back. You know, here's the characters, here's the new situation they are in the back on Tatooine. And all right, we did, you kind of have some exciting stuff with the Rancor battle, but it's, it, it's not quite the same level of action we're used to with Star Wars. When you know, like you say, you go bomb, 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 and it erupts into a very triumphant rendition of the, the the main Star Wars theme. It's like, yeah, this is Star Wars. This is why we love it. It's battles, it's lightsabers, it's antics going on. This, I am so glad we are back. Mm. And there's the rebel theme in there as well, since everyone's all fighting together. Yep. Also, I know it's a little thing. This was the first time we'd ever actually seen lightsabers used against baddies. And because, you know, back in, in the first one, Luke never got to use it at all against anyone. In the next one, he used it on once on a Wampa and once on a shadowy version of himself and then once to fight Vader. That's mm. it. No. I hand used it on a tauntauns. Not they've, the same they've thing. always been used as tools or in duels. Yeah. Where this was the first as a, as a standard weapon in a battle. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. you know, clearly kids have been thinking for years, well, would a lightsaber actually work if you were fighting guys? And absolutely it did. And then, unfortunately, the prequels came along and did it again and again and again and again and again until far. all the magic was drained out of the lightsaber. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I want for the uh, next film series is a lot less lightsaber. Make it special again, for the love of God. Uh, so, yeah, this is uh, The Pit of Carcoon and Jabba's Sail Barge. Thank you. 
And so this next one is the rarely showcased Luke and Leia theme, which is most significant when Luke is coming to talk to Leia in the Ewok village and tell her where the Skywalker family stands. And it's got this relationship with the existing Leia theme, but it's threaded through with something more as well. It's got this sad... I don't know if it's an oboe, but, but the horn that goes... It's sort of a, the masculine version of her fluty kind of uh, existing theme. So it's kind of like it's drawing the two together. I love it. And I must be honest, this is not one that's, that I'm a massive fan of, but I think it's it's compared to the way they use the other themes, it's very kind of understated. Yeah. You know, certainly like, you know, compared to the, you know, going back to uh, Empire Strikes Back, the Han and Leia theme is very in your face and builds and builds and builds. This one is only ever played very, very subtly under such an important scene that you're you're spending more time paying attention to the characters than you are the music, mm. which for me is quite a rarity. When you listen to the climax of this, as just flash back to that bit I was talking about when I, we were doing the reviews of Return of the Jedi, and I said, wouldn't it be brilliant if the climax point of this had been Han talking to Leia over the radio... Uh, while he destroyed the second Death Star and realised that he couldn't get out alive and had to tell her he loved her, and that was his sacrifice, and ultimately the culmination of his character going from a totally selfish man to a totally selfless man, and that would have been brilliant. Instead, they neutered him. Yeah. Okay. No argument, yeah. So this is Luke and Leia's theme.
that is beautiful. I like. I never. I like. I said, I've listened to it before, but I've never really listened to it and appreciated it uh, you know, in the same way. And that is massively underrated. That piece. Yeah, totally. Glad we're glad we listened to that. whole thing there. Like I said, it starts out with a horn, and and then there's the counterpoint of flutes for Leia. So it's like Luke trying to communicate with Leia. It's it's really about you know two people resonating and. Um, more of that would have been great. Mm, definitely. Yeah. And again, people resonating, nothing missing from the prequels. <laughs> Indeed. We're just going to be ripping on them forever, aren't we? Damn straight. Rightfully so. Okay. So this next one's a nice bit of evil uh, again, and this is the Emperor's Throne Room. And it's just a short piece. There's The, the Emperor's theme turns up repeatedly throughout this this film, uh, and this is just like a really isolated segment where he is totally assured of what he's doing. No, you know, he knows the score, and he's just sitting on his chair going, everything has proceeded according to my design. It's brilliantly symbolic of the Emperor's Evil as well. Another composer would have gone for a much darker, much louder, much bigger theme than Darth Vader to kind of say, this is, you know, you thought Darth Vader was the big bad. No, this is the big bad. But it's so subtle and haunting and it gets, kind of, it gets to you. And it's, it's, it's the way he works. He kind of, he doesn't need to be the biggest or strongest. He just needs to be the most manipulative, the most in control. And then he can get those with the real power to do his bidding. And there's this, there's a male voice in there as well for the mm. actual, the, the choral section. So it's kind of like he's got the power of the dark side and all the people who've died for it behind him. And so it's got a new cannot resist the will of the dark side. And then obviously when he does come full out with his, uh, Lightning, it goes, dun, dun, dun. not in this version, but then later on. Uh, and it's like, they, they, Williams is able to pull it up, but this is one of the best themes from Jedi. Absolutely. Definitely. And of course, remember, at the very end of The Phantom Menace, that, ah, ah, the Gun Gun Parade is this song, but played in a fun way. <laughs>
so the second to last one here, uh, rather than playing you lots of bombastic da 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 because all of the Death Star 2 uh, assault stuff, there's like three tracks. It's parts one, two, and three, and they're all 10, 11 minutes each. So there's like, that's, that's half an hour of combined sort of there's too many of them, that kind of stuff. And none of it really holds a candle to Luke lighting the bonfire that uh, ends the reign of Darth Vader. Really. And uh, Leia realizing that Luke's still alive and there's going to be a family unit now. And I suppose as a result, the um, Han Solo realizing where they stand as well. As weak and as uh, watered down as that side of things are, it's a nice kind of, this is how we're now going to leave these characters that you love. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the Luke Vader stuff is incredibly powerful. The, I mean, like you know, like the Battle of Endor was incredibly exciting, but it's action. This is the climax. This is where everything comes to an end. All the loose ends. You know, yeah, you're going to destroy the Death Star. That was never a, a possibility no. that they would. The question was what happened next, and this is where we start to get a hint of that. Yeah, we decided to stop it there after Luke burned uh, Vader's body and not go straight on to the Ewok, either Yubnub version or the Polynesian version because neither one would be perfect for our audience. So this is the emotional closeout for the three characters that we adore uh, in uh, Leia's News and Light of the Force.
So for the finale, we, as again, we decided against putting Jedi's in because we can't please old school fans of the original Yub Nub Cut or the new fans of the special edition like yourself, James, who like the Polynesian sounding Ewoks. And uh, some folks playing just hate Ewoks and Jedi altogether. So we had to go to either A New Hope or Empire to close out. And we chose... A New Hope. We did indeed. What were our reasons? Partly it's the obvious thing to do. Um, and But I was anxiety with now that I don't like doing yeah. the obvious thing. I, I know, but as I, as I pointed out to you, like, you know, sometimes the obvious thing to do is it's obvious because it's right. For me, this really does sum up the end of not only the trilogy, but the saga. I know we, you know we've been slamming on the prequels, but we can't ignore they exist. The Star Wars A Musical Journey DVD ends with this piece. Yeah. And it shows clips from not only the end of it's obviously the music played over the medal ceremony at the end of Star Wars and New Hope yeah. but also over you know the ending of Jedi and the ending of you know various different films it's a great rendition of the Sky Skywalker theme nice and triumphant and it kind of it just reminds you of all the kind of fun times you've had over the six films or more or the three films depending on where your where your allegiances lie um it's just it's it really does kind of sum up, yeah, you know, this is the end of the adventure. We are ending on a high. Everything is safe again. Everything is happy. The Skywalkers are triumphant. It, you know, and you have been part of something special mm. by watching these films. Also, though, because it, it's at the end of Star Wars A New Hope, it happened before we had more adventures. So even mm. though it's an ending, it's not a full stop. It works as a full stop, but then there's always... Episode 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, Clone Wars. <laughs> it's, it's the ending with the hint of something more. Yeah. You know, even, even back in 77, when Star Wars came out, and, you know, we, we saw these characters standing triumphantly and everyone got a medal except Chewie. Um, poor Chewie. Uh, Although poor he does Chewie. get it in Star Wars Revisited. Good. Um, you know, and then, and the, the film ends and, like I say, it's, it's this great kind of, yep, yeah, you know, that's it, that's the end of this story. But there may be more to come. You know that your character, your favourite characters are safe and alive, and there is le- more for them to do. And it's the hint. It's the hint of there's a future there. And like, like I said, like, you know, it's played at the end of four, but it's also played during the credits of episode three. Yeah. So it really does punctuate. This is the end of the saga. Yeah. Until Disney spend four and a half billion pounds and then make more. If this doesn't appear in episode nine. It won't appear in episode nine, but if it doesn't, I will be upset. Yeah. We've had John Williams stuff turn up in non-John Williams scores before Superman Returns. True. Harry Potter, they used his ending to, for, his ending to, um, to do. The Bosters. It is. <laughs> okay. Uh, Take note, Disney. And the reason we didn't use Empire is because it uses very, very strong cues that we've already showcased. Mm. So it, made the most sense, like we said, to, to go back to the beginning again. So that's what we're doing. I actually recently went to, um, as I mentioned, a, a concert up in Birmingham uh, called Movies Forgotten Heroes, and they played this, uh, it was next to last. The last track they played was Superman. Um, it was all heroic themes, so it was things like Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, to war films like Where Eagles Dare, The Dam Busters, Great Escape. It was an incredible night, and Alex, you'd have loved it. God. Um, it was it it was brilliant, and they played this like I say like you know penultimate track, and the the composer said you know this is the music that you've never heard, because so many people walk out of the cinema before you know the credits have played. Yeah, all but the not the people who turn up at that concert. 
Not the people that don't know. This, no, the people, the, this is the music that regular people have never heard. Yeah, re- okay, most people have never heard. Most people most people walk out the cinema before they hear all the credit music, and it honestly is. It's such a rousing rendition of the Star Wars theme yeah. that it does make you want more. Like, towards the very end of the credits, ignoring the medal ceremony music for a moment, towards the very end of the credits when they're playing, like, the the Star Wars theme, and it's most enthusiastic, it's most energetic, it does make you want, yeah, I want more of this. Yeah. Credits are actually a great a, a gold mine of, of excellent kind of medleys and sweets because mm. the composer doesn't have to keep time with whatever last minute edits the director throws at them and goes right make it change all the cuts again keep it in time with this suddenly they get, they've got nothing to keep it in time with and they they actually they they are free to make it, make it flow in a more organic way. We completely and utterly endorse listening to all the end credits on uh, films with fantastic scores. Absolutely. Okay, so before we go, James, tell us about some recent favourite shows on Game Burst that the listeners might like to check out. Ooh, uh, sport of a choice. Uh, we quite enjoyed our Christmas quiz. Uh, it was the old hosts versus the new hosts. Nice. Um, also, uh, mid-December we did a show on the best games we've played in 2012. Not the best games that came out in 2012, the best games we've played. So it does include some old favourites. We also have, yeah, the, our most recent roundtable is uh, a roundtable on the games that we're looking forward to this year. So definitely uh, tune in for that. You can find them all at gameburst.co.uk. And may I bl- uh, plug something else? Yeah. Back in December, there was obviously the Sandy Hook tragedy. A young boy or a young man, uh, you know, gunned down, scorched on it. It was an absolute tragedy. It was horrific, and sadly, you know, it, it, it's a it's a really devastating truth of this world that, that that these things happen. Naturally, within days, it was blamed on his Call of Duty obsession and you know, all violent video games are to blame. I am not at all absolving the role that violent video games play in unlocking the darker parts of already unhinged minds. However, there are more to video games than that. And to demonstrate that, I have started up a Tumblr, non-violent game of the day, nvgotd.tumblr.com. Basically, every day I pick a game write a short paragraph about what it is, what it's about, what its concepts and, and, and gameplay is that doesn't involve any form of violence. There's links to where you can find more information. There's links where you can re- read reviews of the game. It's just, it's, I'm trying to give an interesting showcase of the diversity of video games out there. What would qualify? We'd say, would Plants vs. Zombies not qualify? Plants vs. Zombies would not qualify. The um, I, am defining vo- I am defining violence as... Any game in which the player is compelled to harm another living thing. Another so living Mario thing. wouldn't qualify. Mario would not count because he squashes um, Goombas. Angry Birds certainly wouldn't count because the whole game is about slaughtering pigs. I'm not necessarily. I'm not necessarily getting involved in that argument. I'm not necessarily taking sides either way. I just. I like the idea of showcasing the different types of games there are out there. Because when you do look at the charts, it is all guns, 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 fighting guns. Hmm. And it's quite interesting seeing the different types of games out there. We'll be back with our Star Wars Roundtable in the next few days, which features Paris Lilly of Remember When, Chris Brown of The Married Gamers, and Matt Ramsey of Gamerdork. In it, we talk about what Disney might do with their new property. We try to keep our sensible heads on, but occasionally wild speculation rears its mischievous head. So this is the finale from the original 1977 Star Wars, Throne Room and Credits. See you again soon. Thank you very much to James Batchelor for being my guest. 
Thank you for having me. It's been great fun. And may the force be with you, always.
usually it's not too brilliant if you use it for more than two and a half hours for me. I don't podcast that long. <laughs> I know, but... <laughs> uh, we podcast or stay listen to half an hour. Oh, you're from Somerset now. I am from Somerset now because I can do that little little better than Irish. My Irish accent tends to migrate mid-sentence. Well, I'll stay Irish then, you be in Somerset. You stay Irish. Okay. We've always... Uh, I had this running joke with a friend that um, Star Wars would be so much less threatening in a West Country accent. Yeah, we, we talked about this on the podcast. We did, didn't we? Yes, and I couldn't do it at, at the time, could I? Then, yes. Luke, Luke, the force is strong with you. Luke, the force is... Strike me down and I'll become more powerful than you can possibly <laughs> imagine. <laughs> Barbara was me tea. Admiral Ozzel came out of the light speed too quickly. <laughs> he's as clumsy as he's stupid, he's you know. clumsy as he's stupid. <laughs> the chances of navigating an asteroid field are... <laughs> Well, they're not good. Never tell me the odds. Never tell me the odds. <laughs> 3,720 to 1. We love you, I know. <laughs> this deal's getting worse all the time. Okay. I've altered the deal. Pray I don't alter it no further. What if he doesn't survive? He's worth a lot to me. I can't remember the next line. <laughs> In chakini kinchu. That's Jabba. Because he's, he's holding a thermal gun <laughs> You, like your father, are now mine. <laughs> oh, I'm afraid the deflector shield will be quite operational when your friends arrive. Okay. So be it, Jedi. <laughs> We're done. We're done. Then, Any buttons yes? died to bring us this information. <laughs> Ready? I think so. Governor Tarkin, I recognise your foul stench when I come aboard. Wonderful girl. Either I'm beginning to like her or I want to kill her. <laughs> oh dear. Who's more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? It works best when you do it as Kenobi. They are right in Family Guy where it's like, you don't believe in the Force, do you? You mean that religion you just found out about like a few hours ago? <laughs> 